Hello, and welcome to this week's Muni Lowdown. I'm Greg Clark, Head of Municipal Research at DebtWire Municipals. With me today are Seth Brumby, our Deputy Editor, and Mary Ellen Tai, our Assistant Editor. As you might guess, this week's events in the Muni market have been dominated by news of Hurricane Harvey. I would just like to say that I've only been to the Houston area a couple times in my life. Each time I was there, I was impressed by how warm and cordial the people were. And I think I speak for all of us when I, when I wish the best for the area in general and for everyone there. Having said that, Seth, there are some obvious concerns with Hurricane Harvey. Could you give us some idea of, of what those are? Sure. I, I think at this point in time, uh, like you, Greg, and the rest of us here at DebtWire um, and in the uh, municipal market in general, people are just focused on making sure that people are safe. I think, though, it, it'll be a matter of weeks to months before we get an assessment from the issuers down there over how they plan on going about their recovery. And that's really the feedback that we've gotten from the buy side uh, this past week. We've gone out and talked to a lot of people, and it really seems like right now, Obviously, a lot of the bondholders are giving the issuers some breathing room before they find out what's going on with actual obligations, um, whether or not there might be might be any disruptions to debt service. But that's all certainly projected into the future. Uh, that said, there are some important things in the future that I think the market is concerned about, um, one of them being specific to Houston. Uh, Houston, as we all know, has gone through a massive pension reform with its police uh, and fire pensions uh, specifically, and there's supposed to be a pension obligation bond referendum this uh, uh, November for about $1 billion. I believe it was just to fund their police pension. No news yet on whether or not that schedule will go forward. Obviously, the mayor down there has a lot of other concerns right now, as do the police, uh, but that's certainly something that we'll be following up on. Um, and, and truly, you know, with, with the catastrophe as large as Harvey, I mean, the effects um, are so wide-ranging. I mean, really, where to begin? Uh, I think there's a lot of talk also about the independent school districts down there. And, and Greg, you did a, a report today, just a very broad one, over the, the debt obligations and the, and the four counties down there, correct? Yeah. This uh, Earlier today, we published a report called Ion Harvey, which is keyed off of our Ion Puerto Rico and Ion Muni's reports. And in that report, we covered four counties – the cities within those counties, as long as they were population 15,000 or more, and just about every school di district in each of those counties in the affected area, we published, uh, we compiled ratings and uh, outstanding debt for, for each of the entities that I described, came out to about 50, 60 names, I guess. Uh, we'll be adding to that as time goes on, as the situation becomes clear. One of the things we're going to do, some of our listeners are probably familiar with the Texas Permanent School Fund. That is a statewide fund that supports some general obligation school district bonds. We're going to be studying which districts have bonds that are backed by the PSF, Permanent School Fund, as it's called, and also uh, tax limits in the city's counties and school districts. Yeah, it's interesting. They actually, the, the state just passed a, a, a statewide property tax reform, if I'm not mistaken, which r really cuts in half uh, the amount that they can raise property taxes by. I don't believe that's applicable to debt service. So in the event that 
you know, a county or municipality or independent school district need to raise property tax revenue to pay for bonds, I believe that's unlimited, but certainly to raise revenue just in general, it does put a crimp on their ability maybe to do capital improvement bonds, which they might need to do too. I, I, I read a story in the Washington Post saying that just in the Houston area alone, Houston Independent School District, 35 schools are damaged and they'll delay their opening this year. Um, just some other stats for you too. For all you guys out there with um, any kind of exposure for structure credit, like asset-backed securities, the CMBS exposure there is around $10 billion, affecting over 1,500 properties. Um, I mean, and then beyond that, there's, um, you know, special assessment bonds, excuse me, special assessment bonds like municipal utility districts, otherwise known as MUD bonds. We'll be looking at those. We'll be looking at hospitals. Uh, certainly, we saw following Katrina that a lot of attention was paid to the hospitals down there, both for-profit and non-profit. Um, that got shut down, and uh, you know, hotel back, hotel tax back bonds. I mean, it really just spans a whole gamut of things that the market. I think over the next couple of months, will gradually start, you know, uh, taking apart and putting back together again. There, there are a lot of obscure things that emerge in situations like this, both in terms of, of the overall environment, and also in terms of bond issues that a lot of people forgot about. There's the uh, Texas Pellets deal, for instance, it's a wood-to-pellet facility located in Woodville, Texas, which is about 100 miles northeast of Houston, and its shipping facility is about 15 miles away from the Gulf. Uh, We don't have any news exactly on the Texas Pellets facilities yet, but those bonds have had problems that I won't bother to go into right now. They've, they've had fires, they've had construction delays, and uh, we won't, I won't go into it anymore right now, but there is so many things when a major storm like that hits a, hits a huge metropolitan area, there's just going to be all kinds of things that emerge over the next few months. One, one thing that is important to note about the Texas Pellets deals are that uh, Texas Pellets is in bankruptcy. It was currently going through an auction process, but because of various kind of environmental factors, as, as you noted, Greg, um, I think there are some silo fires, uh, they've delayed that auction process. And now with this catastrophic event, we don't quite know how that will affect the auction. I can't imagine that uh, it would help improve the bids at all on those assets. Uh, Texas Pellets did have a sister facility over in Louisiana, which was able to complete its auction process. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the obscure things are impacted by this stuff as well, and you start seeing them kind of come uh, creeping out of the woodwork. There's some other uh, items, too. Texas has a fair number of toll roads, and uh, the municipalities down there, there's no income tax in Texas, as as a lot of our listeners will realize, uh, at the state state or local level. So you've you've got a situation where the... uh, budgets at the state and local level. Well, at the local level, it's sales and property tax. At the state level, there's there's sales and a lot of other taxes. But that's uh, just some of the things we'll be keeping an eye on uh, in the next couple, three, six months, whatever, however, however long it takes to resolve all this. That's about all we have to say about Harvey. Marion, did you have something? Yeah, I did. There might be the potential for some primary market moves here. Uh, Following Katrina and Sandy, 
depending on the amount of time it takes to get federal aid, you might see some of these cities issuing tax anticipation notes or grant anticipation notes. So I guess maybe keep an eye out for that. Also, Houston has a really big port, and a lot of people have been discussing how to best uh, retrofit the port for big storm events like this. So it'll be interesting to see if this particular event causes any movement there. That would be a huge capital project that they would need to issue debt for. And speaking of the market, uh, the primary market at least, in, in the secondary market, there was a similar, well, sorry, back during the uh, Katrina, we were talking to some people in the market, and it took a good three months for spreads to widen on Louisiana debt before they came back again. And I believe that the state itself, um, despite having a lot of its own uh, financial problems, did have a uh, a positive reaction in terms of its own coffers as a result of rebuilding efforts. You have more construction activity, um, more purchases from suppliers, and therefore more tax revenue for the state. So, you know, we, we certainly don't want to look for silver lining everywhere, but it is good to, to be able to forecast in the future, okay, we, we've seen natural disasters before. How do they, how did the market respond earlier? And we might be able to see that again played out with uh, Hurricane Harvey. Thanks, everyone. Seth, there was some news in Puerto Rico this week, at least one major court case. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, so Puerto Rico, pretty quiet week, except for the fact that the Oversight Board is really testing the extent of its ability to enforce uh, the Fiscal Economic Growth Plan. So just very quickly, um, you know, the Puerto Rico Oversight Management Economic Stability Act was supposed to provide for a financial oversight management board, uh, keyword being oversight, which means you just sort of shepherd the island through the process of, of good financial governance. But it looks as though that oversight function is turning more into control and enforcement functions. Um, there was, uh, Marianne, you probably know a little bit more and in detail about the dispute, but can you walk us through really why the Oversight Board is getting pushy. Thanks, Seth. So the governor of Puerto Rico, Ricardo Rosseo, has maintained that he does not need to furlough any of the government employees. This is an issue that came up during the fiscal economic growth plan for the government of Puerto Rico. The board would like to see furloughs depend if the government doesn't hit certain cost reductions or certain savings targets. Uh, the governor maintains that he has and that there won't be furloughs, and the board says that he hasn't and is now asking the court to find in their favor. A conversation that was happening in our office is, where does this leave the board if the judge doesn't agree with them? It sort of says, okay, you're more of an advisory panel instead of someone that can actually enforce these things. So this sort of off to the side of all the restructuring bankruptcy litigation might say a lot about what we see in the next however long the oversight board is there for. Yeah, it's interesting. This this debate of enforcement came up also a number of years ago. I remember when they did the series 2014 bonds, and I think we actually might have touched on it on a previous podcast, but they're supposed to be in some enforcement mechanisms for bondholders to be able to sue Puerto Rico in the uh, New York District Court. Uh, that probably gives bondholders uh, the home field advantage um, that they wanted to, plus maybe some stricter laws also. But the question was, okay, so if you as a bondholder need to go to New York District Court to get your rights enforced, 
uh, excuse me, to get your rights, I guess, remedied in a court order, you still have to go down the island and enforce it. And I think we're kind of running up with the same problem here is the Oversight Board had these recommendations and amendments to the Fiscal Economic Growth Plan. They want the governor to carry them out. He's basically saying no. So what do you do now when you're the Oversight Board? And they say, okay, I guess they're just going to take it step by step. They're going to first get you know, their order sanctified um, by the judge. And in doing so, they filed a lawsuit on Monday basically saying, you know, Your Honor, please tell Governor Roseo that he has to do these furloughs um, and he has to cut his pensions. And you're right. If the judge says, no, he doesn't have to do that, then really what is what what does the control function provide for the oversight board? Yeah, as I've been saying and we've been saying around the office, you know, the oversight board doesn't write the checks, so they don't really have the power quite yet. That still sits with the government. To that end, back on August 4th, I, I wasn't at the, the last oversight board meeting, but I believe there's a resolution that called for a treasury manager, which would essentially allow uh, Natalie Juresco, the current, uh, I want to say the executive director um, for Puerto Rico, to essentially install her own person at treasury, at the Puerto Rican treasury, to essentially pay all the bills write the checks. Uh, yeah, to write the checks. So it sounds like they're kind of doing it on a dual track, both you know from an operational standpoint and then from the judicial standpoint, too. It's, it's hard to remember any similar situation with any other control board in the past, whether it was New York City or District of Columbia, uh, Philadelphia. If you've gotten to the point where the oversight board and the governor or mayor or chief executive of the entity are in court, things are not working out as you had planned. Yeah, it's kind of like what um, one of the first times I heard Richard Rabbit speak was a number of years ago, and he pretty much, it was before I think he published his, his most recent book, but he was saying that, you know, if you file for Chapter 9 as a municipality, that's kind of a failure of democracy right there. So no, I'd agree with that. That's, that's, that's well put. Mm-hmm. Another situation we've been following is New Mexico, which we discussed last week with their, well, I'm trying to think of the right term here, uh, mistakenly (laughs) issued bonds. The state issued general obligation bonds earlier this year. The proceeds were to be used to call or prepay bonds that were issued in 2015. This type of transaction is common, common in the municipal market and it's comparable to refinancing a home mortgage when interest rates decline. Unfortunately for state officials, their advisors and their lawyers, the uh, the 2015 bonds were not callable and none of these parties noticed this at the time the bonds were approved. The error was later caught by an employee of the state's Department of Finance and Administration. On Friday the 25th, the State Board of Finance, which is comprised largely of the state officials who approved the 2017 bonds, approved an escrow restructuring proposal in an emergency meeting called by Governor Susana Martinez. The plan calls for replacing taxable with tax-exempt investments. Interest earnings on the tax-exempt investments will be lower than they would have been on the taxable investments, which means that the savings to the state after the refund, with the refunding will be lower than originally forecast, but the switch will keep the state in compliance with federal tax laws. 
In any event, New Mexico will use the income from the escrow to pay debt service on the mistakenly refunded 2015 bonds until all of those bonds mature in 2025. So it looks like New Mexico escaped a rather messy situation there and is, and is coming out pretty much whole. They won't, they won't do as well as they thought, but they're still going to be doing okay. So the refunding became an advanced refunding then? I'm not sure of the actual mechanics. All I know is that they are using tax-exempt bonds to uh, effectuate the refunding. Okay. And they had planned on using taxable bonds. And, of course, the yield on taxable bonds would have been higher. Mm -hmm. So now they're, they're not going to make as much in interest earnings, which means the refunding won't be as lucrative as they had planned. Okay, understood. So I think that's it for this week's Muni Lowdown. Please enjoy the Labor Day weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye.